This is the Legal Innovators Interview Series, featuring in-house counsel at the forefront of change in their profession, industry, and company. Brought to you by Buchanan Ingersoll and Rooney and InsideCounsel.com. Here's your host, Craig Mills. Welcome to the Legal Innovators Interview Series, and thanks for listening. I'm your host, Craig Mills, Executive Shareholder at Buchanan Ingersoll and Rooney and a co-chair of the firm's litigation section. Our guest today is Rob Edmond. Rob is the Chief Legal and Talent Officer at K-Force, one of the nation's leading professional staffing firms. K-Force specializes in providing strategic partnership in technology and finance and accounting services, serving about 70% of the Fortune 100. Prior to joining K-Force, Rob was the Vice President in the Legal Department at pet retailer PetSmart. He also spent the early part of his career working in both private practice and public policy. He's someone who, as you'll hear, has spent a lot of time thinking about the future of the legal industry and where it's headed, and I think he's going to have a lot of useful insights for our listeners. Rob, it's great to have you here today. Great. Thanks. Welcome, Craig. Before we dig in and and learn more about you and and your career, please tell us a little bit about your company, K-Force, and what it does. Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, we're we're a publicly traded uh, staffing and solutions firm, and we provide technology and finance and accounting personnel on demand to over 4,000 clients uh, across the United States. We've been around since 1962, and today we have over 60 offices across the U.S., and uh, that includes two national recruiting centers. At any given time, we'll have about 11,000 employees on assignment, and in a given year, we deploy about 35,000 personnel to meet the technology and accounting needs of our clients. That is an impressive scope of operations. Thank you. And now let's talk about you and your career, Rob. One of the interesting things that I think our listeners would want to learn more about is your role at K-Force, or should I say your dual roles. You're the chief legal officer, but also the chief talent officer. What does the talent aspect of your job entail, and how do you balance both of those in your daily responsibilities? Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's certainly a challenge. Um, so you know, talent for us is, is it's it's really a, a many traditional human resources responsibilities, but like many companies, um, uh, this is an increasingly strategic part of our business, and it needs to be since at the end of the day, uh, we have not only uh, our own human capital needs to manage, but we also sell human capital services to our clients. So we're increasingly reliant on things like predictive analytics and real-time performance data as a company to manage our workforce needs. Being in, as you mentioned, this is, it is a challenge sometimes to be in both roles. Um, but but I think at the end of the day, I find it uh, uh, highly complimentary to be in both roles. By blending advice as well as operational functionality, I think I get a better sense of the practicality of the advice that I'm giving. Right. Um, I know that the challenges sometimes that uh, maybe with a little bit more granularity that giving uh, that our legal advice can sometimes uh, create in the field and with our people. And so it challenges us all the time as lawyers to think, is our legal advice simple enough that it can be implemented across our company, across 60 plus offices with fidelity? Um, and, you know, are we fully aware of the pressures on our business well enough to anticipate where the problems are coming from and where they might arise around the corner? Um, so serving for me in an operational role helps me and my team see around corners and have a better sense of what's really going on in the business. And I think it drives us closer to our business partners. But as you said, you know, you mentioned challenges. You know, there, there are certainly um, a number of challenges in the role, probably the biggest of which is just being cognizant of when you need to be careful about preserving the attorney-client privilege. Um, that, that certainly is a challenge whenever you have lawyers crossing over into, into operational roles. And then I think, you know, also, um, you know, as you work 
even more closely with your field partners and with other leaders in the business, maintaining that sense of independence and objectivity that I think uh, most companies depend on their in-house legal function to have um, is sometimes a challenge as well. And, and making sure that we step back and challenge that in our own advice um, is, is, a, is something that, that our team um, uh, spends a lot of time doing. That makes perfect sense. I mean, you can see the benefits from having more of an operational role and breaking down the barriers between the legal department and the operational side of the company in terms of being able to serve them better as a lawyer. But as you say, at the same time, being that impartial adjudicator of right and wrong, preserving the privilege, has got to be a constant challenge. I mean, do you, do you have like a, a wig, like, you know, the, the British jurist that you put on when you become the general counsel, or, or, or do they just have to take it that you're acting as a lawyer at that point? No, I mean, I, I just think we, we, we think of it situationally. We try to be, you know, I try to think of it um, in, in each setting. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would say the balance, you know, the vast majority of what we do um, uh, is is, is uh, business advice more than legal advice. And I think that's really part of the real value of the general counsel's office and of our legal team is that we're really close to the business. Um, so segregating out as we think about our advice, you know, when that is true legal advice and making sure we're taking the right steps to preserve the privilege is just something our lawyers have to keep top of mind. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a constant challenge, but I wouldn't say it's the, the biggest challenge um, in, in the sense that, um, you know, a lot of times in-house lawyers, uh, they find, or at least I find, uh, transparency is a huge aid to, to getting our work done, right? Uh, and I think it's a little bit different orientation between inside and outside attorneys. I, I grew up as an outside lawyer. I, I had great training at Porter Wright, the law firm I, I grew up in, um, and, and, and at Jones Day as well. And in, in those settings, I think my bias was a lot more toward um, secrecy and toward ensuring that we were you know, maximally protecting the privilege. And when we talked about things that could create liability for a company, making sure we were doing everything we could to keep that um, you know, away from, from public scrutiny while we were working to solve those problems. And I think sometimes, you know, my orientation as an in-house attorney has has turned quite the other way, right? My 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 bias is you can't really get after fixing a lot of the problems that you see without shining some light on it and making sure people understand those problems and how they arose, and and getting uh, you know lots of employees involved in trying to so, uh, knowledgeable about the, pro, the the problems to be able to try to solve them. Right, um, and that requires some real acknowledgement and honesty about, hey, this didn't go the way we expected. This this project or this this uh, this uh, this potential um, uh, line of thinking is creating risks for us that that we need to be public and, and knowledgeable about, own it, and and get better for it. That's that's a fascinating perspective. You know, as, as attorneys, we're we're trained about secrecy and you say and the privilege and confidentiality. But I can imagine, just as you say, there are times when transparency actually helps you, helps your client. I think that's right. And, and I think, you know, it's not just for, for the legal function, but overall, I think we live in an age of transparency increasingly, especially as millennial workers, um, you know, begin to, to take uh, root in our workforce. Uh, the expectations around transparency, uh, both of the workers and of our employees and of the consultants that we serve and of the public generally are growing, not, not shrinking. And so uh, I think all functions, you know, HR, legal, um, IT, we're all called on to act with more transparency to meet uh, to, to get things done faster. Well, Rob, you're certainly not the only general counsel that has seen his or, or her responsibilities increase beyond just legal matters in the last few years. We see more and more of that these days with general counsel taking on multiple roles. What do you think is driving that change in the industry? 
Yeah, no, I think um, one. I think uh, we, as we think about the the risk profile of companies and the regulatory environment, I think companies generally are challenged to think about uh, risk in more strategic ways. Um, I think they are having to think about risk um, strategically in terms of making making intelligent intelligent risk taking in an increasingly complex world. And as that has happened, I think the role of the general counsel uh, as one place where people look for that kind of strategic advice um, it has, has grown with it. Um, I think the forces of transparency in the broader economy, as we talked about, it's hard for lawyers, our profession bets on secrecy, but, but I think what happens internally, you know, the, the value of a general counsel, um, you, you have to think kind of hard about that as you come in-house from outside. What is the true distinguishing value of, of general counsels? Um, for me, when I made that transition, um, one of the one of the most telling moments of my career, um, I remember the general counsel at, at PetSmart kind of pulling me aside once, and um, you know I had I had been in house maybe maybe two years, and I was reading a legal blog of of a labor and employment um, uh, 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 one of the labor and employment attorneys that I followed, and I like to stay edgy on labor and employment law issues. That's how I grew up. That's the kind of lawyer I was when when I was in private practice. And she kind of pulled me aside and she said, you know, Rob, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm reading this legal blog and, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me and, 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 and I, I want to stay edgy. And she said, stop it. And, and I kind of, you know, put my pen down and, and looked up and, and she's like, it was, it was a little bit of a, of a interesting conversation to me. I knew that she was trying to give me some, 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 some clear advice. She said, look, the minute you came in house, uh, your value as a specialist began to diminish. Um, you, you know, it's hard to spend your time staying edgy on, uh, staying up to date on every labor and employment trend, right? Um, and by the way, that's not your value anymore, at least not in my department, right? Your value now is uh, more, you know, I can find a lawyer on the outside who knows more about labor and employment law, and maybe I can get them even more efficiently or more more affordably than I can having your time spent on that, right? What, what your value is to me is I should never be able to find a lawyer on the outside who knows my business better than you. And it was a real wake-up call for me to kind of step back and think about what is the unique value of in-house counsel relative to outside counsel, right, relative to our outside counsel partners. And, and as I really thought about that, it, it is how close we get to the business. And I think o- over time you've seen uh, in-house departments change their business cases based on the need to get closer to their business partners. Right. So as I think about legal departments, they grew heavily in the in the 90s and the early 2000s. But the business case that in-house legal departments were making to their CFOs and to their to their CEOs in trying to get headcount went something like this. Hey, we can do X cheaper than outside counsel. And that resulted in growth of headcount and growth of legal functions. But, you know, Circa 1990, or let's let's you know think about 2005 or, or 2010, that time frame. I think a lot of general counsels were waking up and saying, "Oh, wait a minute! I now have a large department, but I'm doing a lot of, frankly, cheap work. I'm doing work that isn't particular. It's not driving relationships in my business. It's not driving relationships with my uh, my fellow CEOs or my fellow C-suite executives, right? Um, and so it's not necessarily the unique value of um, of my in-house, uh, it's, it's not getting me to the place where I'm at the table helping to shape the strategy of the firm. So what do I need to do to do that? And, and at least for me, as I was going through my evolution of an in-house lawyer, it was 
taking the advice of, of, of you know, PetSmart's general counsel and getting to know the business really well, spending a lot of time with my partners and a lot of time with, uh, you know, our field uh, employees and our, our retail um, general managers and, and district managers to really get to know, you know, the challenges they face, you know, spending time on earnings calls, right? Every member of our department, um, you know, listens to our earnings calls. Um, and so that we know the pressures the business is under, so that we understand what our investors are seeking, so that we understand, you know, what's going on in the business with, with that kind of, um, um, you know, just being attentive to the business details. And so, you know, for me, that, that is the true value of general counsel. And as we recognize that linkage to the business and our ability to shape strategy, I think we're finding, you know, I, I think our peers are finding that, hey, we bring a lot to the table. And so we're being asked to take on, you know, sometimes broader roles. And you've had not just a broad role in your current job, but broad experience throughout your career. I mean, if you look at your resume, you've had a tremendous diversity of experience. You spent time working in public policy, you've worked for a pet retailer, and now you're working for this enormous, highly complex staffing agency. So many, so many, so, some would question whether I can keep a job, Craig. Yes, apparently you're, you're just on itinerant and, and just can't stay in one place um, yeah. and refuse to develop a specialization. But that's what some people say. Some people say if, if, you, if you're going to work in today's marketplace, and, and let's you know, dial it down directly to the in-house counsel role, you've got to be in that industry and have specialized knowledge in that industry in order to work in that marketplace. How do you, what do you say to that? And, and if you disagree, because I expect you will, how do you think your broader experience has helped you in your career? Yeah, look, I, I think work is changing so fast and, 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 and the, the pace of change in, in the current environment, uh, broadly in the economy is, is, is so fast that it, it, I really do think we're in an age of generalism rather than specialization. If, if, if I need something specialized, it's just so much easier to get that from an outside firm than it is to, to build that in-house for the vast majority of companies, um, you know, unless you're a really, really large department. And so I, for me, the, the, the broad experience has, has really helped me um, just see a lot of different issues and, and, and adapt to work as it changes, right? Uh, as our company transforms, as, as the kind of work that, 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 that we are engaged in uh, rapidly innovates. It's helped me keep pace because I, you know, I have a lot of different kinds of experiences to draw on. The biggest effect for me, I would tell you, is, look, creativity and innovation, which I think are, are values that are hard to find but that are in high demand. I would tell you I am not a naturally creative person, right? I, I'm not artistic. But what I think I've gotten pretty good at is learning how to apply, is, is learning how things work in one context or industry or setting and seeing how those principles might have new application in a different setting. And that sometimes makes you look a lot more creative and innovative than you might naturally be. And more importantly, it does help you that value to the bottom line, right? If you can bring efficiencies that you've seen somewhere or new process ideas that you've seen in one setting to a place where people aren't used to using those principles and using those, uh, those ideas, um, then, then it, it really can help advance the pace of innovation, change, and, and productivity where you are. That's, that, to me, has been the single greatest value of, of being a generalist. You speak of creativity and innovation, and of course, the title of this series is the Legal Innovators Series. So you have struck to the heart of our media raison d'etre. There, I mean, this is this is what we're about. Can you can you give us some examples of some specific things you've done within your legal department to drive innovation? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there's there's two or three things that come quickly to mind. Um, you know. 
most in-house departments have some type of contract management function. And this won't sound all that innovative to 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 your listeners, but um, I think the the biggest challenge we're all facing is how do we, you know, any company, the speed of business is is critically important, right? We have a saying here that that you know, and I'm just saying it, it's a very common saying out there that time kills all deals, right? So we have to do what we can to quickly um, execute contracts, turn over red lines, make sure that that uh, that we're making smart deals with our 4,000 clients, right? Um, turnaround time was was several days longer than it is today for our contracts management function, and that's a, a bit of a function of structure and, and the people and the talent. It's a lot the, the talent of the people we're putting after that, but it is also um, our our work to try to to simplify templates, simplify contract terms, dramatically simplify um, our contracts, and also to automate them, right? So we're working with our IT department on, on contract management uh, system innovations to try to make, uh, to empower our sales folks to automate their templates. And whenever we can push contracts to our clients uh, who, who maybe don't have their own contracts that they want to push to us, um, there's no reason why they can't do that work without necessarily even having to involve legal, right? So how do we automate and, and push that work faster? I, I, would, I would highlight two other things, right? So one, one other area where I think our our team has become more innovative is supporting innovation in our company more broadly, right? Um, I, I think they have. I think our partners have to see that our lawyers have strategic minds and that they've seen a lot in their careers. To invite them to the table, uh, you know, to the to the cutting edge table where we're thinking about how to innovate the core business. And I, you know, I, without disclosing where we're you know evolving as a company and some of the innovative things we're doing to to really drive uh, increased speed and enhance quality in the recruiting process. I would tell you I'm I'm hugely proud of the fact that our lawyers are right there at the table helping with um, designing, you know, transforming our business um, and helping to design new business processes overall for the organization that I believe will, will help us continue to exceed our clients' um, um, expectations and, and really delight them. So that, to me, is, is just a sign of capability and a sign of trust that, that um, my team has, has helped build with their business partners by really understanding our business and getting to that table. The last thing that I think is is, is a concept um, that is important both in human resources and in legal as we've moved more toward generalism, one of the things that we are beginning to think about um, in, in human resources and in, in, in our legal team is how do we incorporate agile thought principles from, you know, that, that really were um, probably the, have really taken hold of the IT industry and, and, and of, of, uh, of technology um, throughout the two, you know, the last two decades, they've been growing. That's that kind of project management experience and, and that kind of way of organizing projects to speed delivery has been uh, an informing principle for IT uh, organizations really for the last 20 years. How do we take those kinds of thought principles, flatter management, flatter organizations, dynamic shifting teams that can go quickly from project to project and inject them in the structure of legal and in the structure of human resources and in the structure of the clients that we serve and adapt to that fast-paced environment where you know projects need to be turned over much more quickly? Um, we're at the very early stages of even thinking about that, but I would say um, you know, as we begin to incorporate those principles into our teams, I think we can we can ramp innovation that much more. Thank you. That's that's a lot to think about, but clearly you've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I'd like to turn things maybe the spotlight a little bit more to on you as as a person, your personal background. 
Um, what, what's the proudest moment of your career, Rob? What's the one thing you've done that, that you really look back on with satisfaction? Uh, well, if, if we're thinking of professional accomplishments, I think uh, probably the, the the professional accomplishment I, I, that comes immediately to mind is, so I have three leaders on my team who are senior counsel, and I've seen them earn the confidence of my colleagues and other leaders in the company. And they've each, ad, you know, it's to the point where my colleagues, you know, our clients have advocated for their promotion to become vice presidents. And that's kind of a big deal in our company to make vice president, right? And I, I, I know it was a professional goal for each of, of those, uh, each of my direct reports. And I, and as people, I know this was something that they wanted to accomplish in their lives. And when they, when they achieved that professional goal, uh, each of the three of them, um, you know, it was just a really proud moment for me. Um, I couldn't have been more proud. They so earned it. So that, that's what comes first to mind of, of, you know, at least recent things that, that I'm very proud of because in, in that promotion is, you know, in each of their promotions is a body of work. It's a, it's, it's a person in a whole, uh, holistic amount of accomplishment and contribution to our business. And in each case, um, I didn't have to say a lot. My, you know, my, my, my client, you know, our clients and, 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 and our other business leaders carried the day and advocated for their advancement. And I think um, that's just a, a great sign of confidence in our team. Oh, what a great statement for you and a, and a, a terrific sign of loyalty downward, of which there has never been enough in the world. And I'm, I'm sure it may be even worse now than it, it has been in the past. Speaking of, of your sort of giving nature here, or, or you've always been very active in, in volunteering in your community. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and why it's been important to you throughout your life? Yeah, it, it's been profession. It, it's been important for a couple of reasons. I mean, personally and, and kind of professionally, look, I, I've benefited from a lot of people investing in me, and I think when you've had that kind of success, it's it's important to to look back and you know uh, extend a hand you know to to those coming behind you to try to lift others up, right, and uh, to try to help others advance. Um, so I think that you know, that Engagement in the community helps me think about, you know, those in our community who are in need and, and how I can help them. And I get a lot of fulfillment from that. I, I think the, the, the other thing I would highlight is just professionally. Look, there aren't a lot of ways coming up as a, as a, uh, in, whether you're in, an outside lawyer or an in-house lawyer. A lot of times serving on the boards of nonprofit organizations or for-profit organizations, um, that gives you a chance to earn executive experience and executive, um, uh, it just, just, just different kinds of business skills that you might not get exposed to uh, in your day-to-day -day practice, right? I never really had to look at a P&L statement as an associate at a law firm, but as a director on, uh, you know, on a couple of nonprofit boards um, that I served on in Columbus, Ohio, I had to dig into into the financial statements of those uh, organizations to really understand and fulfill my duties as a board member. And so, at a time that that maybe others wouldn't get exposure to that kind of business skill, I was able to acquire it, and I got to see other executives in action and how they framed issues and how they thought through issues and how they expressed themselves and borrowed a lot from their styles as I was advancing, right? So there was a lot that I think I professionally gained just from being exposed to other civic-minded business leaders and being in that environment together. Now, last thing I would say on that is, you know, look, at K-Force, we make pretty clear our core values. Um, one of our core values is stewardship and service to the community, and I feel really lucky to work at a company that values that, makes time for it, encourages us to get out and help uh, the communities that, that help us uh, prosper and help us thrive, and, uh, and K-Force couldn't be more supportive of that. Well, Rob, we're getting close to the end of our show, and it's time to wrap things up with something what we call in-closing. 
I'm going to ask you a series of rapid-fire questions that are a little on the lighter side or a little on the stupid side, depending on how you want to look at it. And it's your job to answer those as quickly as you can. Are you up for it? All right. Fire away. All right. Let's go. You used to work at PetSmart, so I assume you had to have pets, right? <laughs> Actually, I started at PetSmart uh, not having pets, but, but, but after five years there, uh, you can't help it work at PetSmart and, and not, uh, and not uh, get a dog uh, or, or uh, another kind of pet. So after about four years, uh, we finally, uh, you know, we finally uh, went to, to get Waffles, who is our dog. And uh, I tell you what, I learned a lot at PetSmart, and having Waffles is one of the, 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 the best thing. It's, it's one of the best legacies in my – it's a living reminder of just what awesome time of my life that was, and she is a great dog. So um, it was it was a really great thing to for, for our family. What is the best book you've read, and why was it so good? Ooh. Um, well, so I'll give you two that quickly come to mind, and they're both fairly recent. Um, one is The Four. Uh, it's by Scott Galloway, and it is it chronicles kind of the rise of Amazon, Google, uh, Apple, um, you know, big the big four, you know, big four technology companies, right? And and what was endemic to their uh, success, and how they and, and how did Google and other companies grow so fast? And it's just a fascinating look at um, you know. The forces of transparency, the forces of speed, um, the, the the different strategic decisions those companies made, and the best thing about it is for those for those of your listeners who might have kids, right? My my daughter's a senior in high school, and she's uh, going off to college next year. And I, I actually the, the the second to last chapter of that book I think is the best collection of career advice in the modern economy that I've seen in one place. So I forced her to read it. She she's if she hears this she'll probably laugh at it, but uh, but it's it's a fascinating book. It look at, at the forces of technology in our economy and you know so that was one that came to mind the second one is exponential organizations it has a several it has i think three or four different articles but similar theme right looking at the forces that let you know companies these same companies and a few others grow at like 10 times the rate of any other companies prior to them in history right what were the forces and the and the kinds of strategic uh frameworks that the decision makers at those companies had to 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 uh that you know what could they you find in common about these cultures that allowed them to grow so rapidly and allowed them to innovate uh, and disrupt uh, the, 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 the economies and the industries that, that they're in. Um, just a fascinating book and one that's really provocative in terms of how you think about you know, law, how you think about you know, my day-to-day job, right? It's, it, again, an example of a, a book that exposes you to lessons in other industries that you might be able to think about applying to your practice. If you went back in time in your career and took it in a non-legal direction, what would you be right now? Oh, gosh. Um, this is horrible because I am a terrible, terrible singer, so I couldn't do this. But if, if neither talent nor money were, were, any, uh, were any object, you know, sadly, I think I'd be a lounge lizard or a crooner of some kind. I, I just have always uh, – I just think that would be an awesome career. I can see you in the velvet tuxedo with the really big bow tie. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a good look. But you probably – There you go. <laughs> now, you've worked in, in Phoenix and in Tampa. Both very hot places. Meaning no disrespect to our listeners in either one of those fine municipalities. Which was more challenging in terms of living conditions? Uh-huh. Dry heat beats wet heat, but beach is awesome, right? So uh, that's, that's my that's my quick summary. That is a very diplomatic answer. Points for you, sir. Now, last question. When you're on the road and you're looking for a place to eat, where does Rob Evans go? Is it Italian, Mexican, continental, none of the above? Oh, gosh. 
I find the closest dive, man. It's, uh, you know, so I, I, I love food and I eat way too much, but I, I, I love finding the, the kind of a dive restaurant with great food. Um, and it could be, it could be any kind of cuisine, Chinese, Italian, doesn't matter. But I look for that kind of hidden gem that, that is just, uh, it's low key. The locals love it. And, uh, it's a great place. For me, it's, it's not just a great meal. It's a great way to have good conversation. So long as the sanitation sign on the windows is a B or below, you're, you're in. <laughs> I'm at least game to try it. All right. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show. Now, we promised at the outset that our listeners would get some heady insights into the legal industry and where it's heading, and you certainly delivered. And I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks for being on the show. Craig, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this will wrap up this edition of the Legal Innovators Interview Series. So be sure to join us next time. Until then, I'm Craig Mills of Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. Thanks for listening.